in 1 Peter, so you're going to want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, great book, great letter to God's people, uh, people who find themselves in a very uncomfortable place. Um, we have no idea what that would be like, like to be uprooted from your hometown and your home and just dragged uh, miles and miles away and kind of replanted and, and figured out, right? <laughs> Uh, that would not be comfortable at all. But that's where these people find themselves, scattered uh, in a whole other part of the world, another region. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a lot of great truths about Peter and his story, but Peter is like living proof, and this is really good, Peter is living proof that you do not have to be perfect for God to use you in amazing ways. I mean, Peter is like, if anybody exemplifies that, it's Peter, right? It's like Peter shows us that he is just not a perfect guy, but God still uses him in, in huge ways, like big, big, big ways. Um, that's, that's good for us. That's good for me. I mean, it's good to know that. I can still, you know, mess up like I do as a human, but God can still use me. That's hope, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's light at the end of the tunnel for sure. Um, so, and so far, Peter has like, encouraged the believers, as we've looked through the first chapter, uh, to a couple things. One, to remember their place of grace, that they are in a place of grace, and no matter where they are. Right? That's just like, they are in God's grace, and Julie kind of pointed that out this morning in our worship, um, that, that we are children of God, that he calls us his own. And, and that right there, there's no better place to be. You know, really, there's no better place. Everything else after that is just, 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 just serve the Lord, love the Lord, honor the Lord, just, just live for Him. That's it. Just, that's all we got to really focus on doing is honoring God with our life because He's done the hard part. He brought us into His grace. Uh, the other thing Peter reminds them of is, is their salvation hope, that no matter where they are or what happens to them, that their, their hope is in the salvation that Jesus brought for them. And that their eternity is safe and secure in Jesus, that nobody can take that away from them. They just hang on to Christ and they're in good shape. And then last week we said, um, Peter reminded them to flee from the now and cling to the later, the now and the later. Uh, to flee from the things that we want to like jump into now, all the worldly things that we see and hear and feel around us. Uh, flee from those things and cling to what's to come. Right. That's what Peter said in that end of that first chapter. Well, today, Peter's word uh, to these believers, is this is the word exemplified. There it is, right there on the screen. Exemplified, okay? That's the word we're going to see uh, in this chapter 2 is where we're going to be in chapter 2. And, and what this kind of, the idea of this is that, that there's a high bar that's set. To, to be an example or to exemplify something is to set a bar, to set a high bar, to set a good example, a godly example for, for others to reach to, right? An example is someone who is uh, living in a way that you want to live, to follow an example or to look to an example. And that's the word that Peter is going to kind of hit on. We're going to hit the whole chapter two today. And I'm just going to kind of pull it apart a little bit in this chapter. Uh, Peter's going to instruct them in a lot of different ways, but some of the, some of the themes that run through this chapter are things like this. Uh, hunger for God. These are just like sub-themes. Uh, hunger for God. Uh, grow up in Him. 
Like that's what he's going to encourage in chapter 2, the believers to do. Hunger for God, grow up in Him, uh, light up the world for the Lord, even where you are. Even though you, you may not like your situation, light up the world for God. And, and another little theme in this is look to the example. And that's kind of what we're going to hit on. So I'm going to share with you like three really big truths from this chapter, okay? And we're going to dig into chapter 2 a little bit. We're going to jump around all over the place. So you're going to need chapter 2 open. You really will to, to kind of follow along. The first thing that Peter is going to say to them, number one, about, um, about exemplified is this. Get rid of the evil. Just flat out, say it with me. Get rid of the evil. Okay, now that's a, that's a church thing, that's a Christian thing, that's a, like the kingdom of God on the earth thing, get rid of the evil, and it's also a very personal thing. Get rid of the evil. Like, because we all be, battle it, right? We all battle evil. We all battle the temptations and the, the sin around us and the, the desires to get involved in worldly things. And so evil surrounds us, it attacks us, it's very real. And we remember that these strangers are in a foreign land, right? And while the temptation is to feel sorry for them, like to go, oh, for these poor believers, you know, that's a natural reaction. Like they're, they're misplaced, they're scattered, you know, to feel sorry for them. Peter's view is like God's view, and it's this. God is looking to use you among these strangers. Like, like get over where you are. God wants to use you. Get over the problems that come your way, the challenges of life. Get over them quickly. Quickly move through them because God wants to do something with you right where you are. He knows where you are. Get over it and move on. There's no time, Peter says to them, for feeling sorry. You know, that's pretty rough, right? I mean, that's just like hard nose, but that's the truth. It's like you don't have time to, like, to, to pity and to wail in your sorrow. Just move on because what you have in the Lord is greater than anything else anyway, and you already know that. Your hope and your salvation is secure in Jesus. So whatever happens on the earth, get over that quickly because God wants to do more important things. And if you get stuck down here, God's not going to be able to do it right? And so Peter's word to them in this is like, like, let's move on. Let's go. You know, let's get going. There's no time to feel sorry. Let's represent the world, the Lord well. And we just saw in the last section in chapter one, he says, be holy because I'm holy. Like, and be pure and be, be, be godly. Like, represent God well. So look at verse one. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. The first two points, there'll be some scripture on the, ver on the screen. The third point, we're going to dig into the whole chapter, so too much scripture, we're going to have to dig into your word. Verse 1, therefore, he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Okay, let's look at that verse for a minute. Rid yourself, it means like to lay aside or to renounce, to stow away, like just get rid of it. Get rid of this as in being dressed in Christ and taking off the sinful garments, right? Rid yourself of these evils. Get them out of your life. Get rid of evil. Don't let it in. Don't let it hang around. Don't let it play a part in your mind and your thinking and who you are. And don't tinker and toy with it. We, we read this morning, later on in Peter, in our, in our small group time, um, we're either drawing near to God and resisting the devil or we're not resisting the devil and we're moving away from God. 
we're either going one direction or the other. We're either drawn near to God or we're drawn near to the devil. There's no two ways about it. If you draw near to the devil or draw near to God, the devil will, will flee. But if you don't draw near to God, the devil is going to come on in. And Peter says here earlier in the book, same book, get rid of the evil. Get rid of this, these things like ill will, you know, carried out. This, this not just this bad feeling towards somebody, but then you begin to carry it out in action. Don't do that. It's one thing to think it. It's another thing to begin to act on it. Don't do it. Back yourself up and get rid of all of it. The actions and the thoughts. Uh, like negative talk about other people, right? Like spreading gossip, you know, spreading things, actions that are then uh, taken on to attack the person. First it's a thought, then it's, a, it's an attack. Peter says, get rid of this stuff. Lying, look what he says there. Hypocrisy, we know what those things are. Envy or jealousy. Get rid of those things. Whatever, you know, whatever they're going through right now, you know, maybe they're there and they're thinking, Man, we're misplaced. Look at all the people around us flourishing. They have everything. We have nothing. And it's easy to begin to have bad feelings toward the people you live among. And Peter's saying, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't go there because really what you have in the Lord is greater than what they have. You know, all the prosperity that they have now is nothing compared to what you have later. You know, and Peter's trying to say, look, get rid of these things. These are just, these are just darts of the enemy coming in to get you down, to attack you, to get your mind off of the Lord and onto stuff. Don't, don't let that happen. Get rid of the evil. Get rid of these thoughts, slander, talking bad about other people. These sin acts can be toward, uh, possibly toward other believers or maybe other people that they find themselves living among, you know? People who probably don't care that they're there. You know, they've been, the people who live in these regions uh, in uh, Asia Minor where these Christians have been dropped, they probably don't want these strangers and foreigners in their land either. They don't want them there. They were just fine without them being there. Look at verse 11. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Again, get rid of the evil. Like whatever might be coming in that you think, that you feel, that you want to do, that you identify as being a sinful desire, flee from it, run from it, abstain from it, get rid of it, get it out of your camp, get it out of your life. Sin destroys like everything, doesn't it? I mean, you've seen it happen. Sin destroys everything. It destroys relationships. It destroys progress. It destroys goals. It destroys unity. But mostly, Peter says, it will destroy your soul. I mean, sin will destroy your soul. It wages war against your very soul, the, the part of you that Jesus came to save. And Peter's straightforward concerning sin, and what he's saying to these people who are misplaced is there's no room for it. There's no room for sin in your own life or in your family or anywhere around you. There's just no room for it. Get rid of it. Second thing he says is this, number two. He's going to remind us about those who do evil. In this chapter, if you're looking at the chapter, a couple verses, verse 7 and 8, he hits on this. He says, now to you who believe, okay, those believers out there that believe in Jesus, this stone is precious, right? Is Jesus precious to you? Amen. Amen. Good. He is. He is precious to us, right? Like to us, he's like, he's everything. He's it. 
Like, if we didn't have anything else, we had Jesus, we have everything we need, right? We do. We know we do. In the end, we, we've got everything we need because we have Jesus. But then he says, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. All right, let's just look at that for a minute. But to those who do not believe, believe it or not, believe it or not, there are people who do not believe. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the things of God. They don't believe in the creation order of God. They don't believe in the sanctity things that God has set in motion for us as people. And they go about their lives doing evil. There are people who do not believe, living all around us, right? So we take the blinders off and we realize that. We were at the gala and the, the, the sheriff who spoke, his main point of the thing, of his talk was, we don't teach our kids that there are evil people in this world. Because we want, we want everyone to think everyone's good, right? We want everyone to be okay. We want to teach our kids that that everyone's, you know, a good person. But the fact is, there are evil people in this world, isn't there? They're bent on doing evil. They go do it. And nothing will stop them. They will do what they're going to do. They will kill people. They will shoot people. They will do things that are flat-out evil. And Peter says, there are those who do evil. There are some who just simply don't believe, and then there are just people who are just bent on evil. And they're going to do evil. The, the, the enemy, the, the evil one, the, the, the devil has gotten a hold of them and he rules in them and he will use them for his evil purposes. And here's what they do. He says they reject Jesus, they reject God, they reject the scripture, they reject creation and everything about God's will. They stumble and they fall. If you're looking at the verses, they lack, they, their lack of faith in God is their ruin because they don't believe. They simply don't believe. They disobey the message, Peter says. That's what they do. They, they know it, they see it, they don't care about it, and they're going to do evil. There's bad people in the world, and P Peter is trying to tell them, look, there are people around you who do evil. There are people in this world who do evil. There are people around here who do not obey God, and, and the word of God was destined for them too. They just simply don't want to obey it. Here's, here's, what, um, here's what the Bible, the Bible has some terms for evil people. The Bible calls evil people these terms, depraved, uh, insubordinate, deceivers, wicked, pagan, broad of vipers, children of the devil, worthless, and evildoers. These are not my words, these are the scripture's words. Evil is the lack of goodness and godliness. That's the definition of evil. The Bible says evil people hate the light. There are evil people in this world. How to deal with evil people? Here's a few things the scripture says. Have nothing to do with deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what scripture says. Warn them, scripture says. Scripture says, do not believe every spirit. The word of God says, leave room for God's wrath. The, the word of God says, put away all evil. Put on the full armor of God. Trust in the Lord. The scripture says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the scripture says, don't give evil a foothold. The Bible says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. 
there are evil people in this world. And Peter's trying to say to these people who are misplaced and scattered abroad, he's trying to say, yeah, there are those who do evil. Be alert. Be on guard. Don't think everybody's going to be godly and, and wanting to do what's right. And that's simply because we live in a world that is evil. And so Peter's word to them is, don't be surprised. There are, there are those who do evil. And then finally, number three, uh, which is going to be our longest point because there's so much scripture that kind of hits on this, is this, be among those who follow his example. You know, that's Peter's encouragement to them. Yeah, there's, there's people who do evil. Rid yourself of any of that evil. But most of all, we have an example. And be among those who follow the example. Like, get your mind on what's right and good and godly. Okay, be aware of the other things, but follow his example. This is a large part of the chapter, and it points to Jesus' example. So we're going to just march through the whole chapter. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Why? Because that's what you do when you follow his example. You crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. But we said a few weeks ago, it's not enough to stay there, right? We got to move on to what? Yeah, the meat. Okay, we're going to get a barbecue going. All right, we got a picnic coming up. We'll cook some. We're cooking steaks, right? Yeah, all right. Okay, cool. Okay, we got some big old fat steaks. All right, so we're going to move on to the meat, just to re-emphasize this point. Okay, thank you. Uh, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? So that's what those who follow Christ's example do. They, like, they crave the, the, the word of God, the spiritual milk of God, and they grow up. They keep moving forward. They keep growing in Christ, right, spiritually. They never stop. They never put it on a shelf. They never say that's enough. They never say, I'm going to retire from serving God. They never do that. They serve God until they drop. That's what, that's what followers of Christ do because Jesus served you until he dropped, right? He did. He served you till death. Right? Everything about Jesus is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we follow his example, that's what we see. He's good. Verse 4 says, as you come to him, like that's a huge point. As you come to him, we must come to him. That's what following his example means. You come to the one who is the living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 5, you also like living stones, Here's what we're being. We're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, he is living, right? We are a living spiritual house that he is building in you and me, in us, in the church, in the kingdom on earth. He is building us into this spiritual house and those who follow his example are a part of that building and that construction. We're part of a huge work it's not just us. It's not just you. We're part of the kingdom of God on earth, and he's building this spiritual house, and he's using all of his people throughout all of the world to accomplish his will and his goals. And we're either a part of that building or we're not. We either commit ourselves to Christ and, and his building, that unseen kingdom that is spiritual, that is growing all over the world. Paul, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. But we are. We're, we're his spiritual building on the earth. Like the, the earth is full of darkness and, and God is constructing on the earth 
a spiritual kingdom. And we're, we're part of that. How awesome is that? That We can be a part of what God is doing. He is working on us, he's working through us, and he's working in us. Well, Peter continues to talk about the building there in verse 6. Uh, he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's a great promise, isn't it? Like you trust in God and you will never be put to shame. You might be tested, you might suffer, you might be tempted because of the, the life you've chosen to live in Christ and evil is going to attack you, but you will never be put to shame. In the end, you will stand. Nobody else can promise that. Nothing else can promise you that. Only God can promise you that. And he says, there's evildoers, verse 7, now to you who believe this stone is precious to those who don't, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the stone that causes people to stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Verse 9, he says, but you, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. <laughs> you're a lot of good things. Like we are in Christ because of our connection to him and our commitment to Jesus and that we're part of this spiritual building that he's building and he is the example that we're looking to as we live. We are, we are so many great things in Jesus that this world can't even touch. You're a chosen people, he says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, what could anyone ever say to you about you or for you or give to you that would be greater than just that verse? There's nothing. All the money in the world doesn't even come close to what that promise is that you have in Jesus and what that means for you in heaven. I mean, there's nothing on this earth that compares to that. But it's not enough that he just says that. He says, this is for a purpose. Like, you're, you're these things, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, there's a purpose that you are this in Jesus, and that's so the whole world will know. That they too can be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. They need to be that too, and, and we're that so that God can use us to help other people become that, right? It's beyond our wildest dreams, and, and these things come true in Jesus. Like, we can't even dream this. I can't dream being a holy nation of God. What does that even look like? or a chosen people to him, or, or a royal priesthood. What does that even mean to be God's royal priesthood in heaven for God, that he looks at us like that? Can't even imagine what that's like. How like high and lofty that is. Like it's beyond our, our minds. But that's what he says you are. Verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Do you get that? At one time, you were lost. You were lost and headed for hell, separated from God, taken over by evil, and bent to do it. But now you're found. Wow, that's a drastic change, isn't it? What a contrast. You were headed for hell. Now you're headed for heaven. How in the world did this happen? Jesus. God did this for you. Once you were in the dark, now you're in the light. Once you were out, now you're in with no hope, no example. But now you have hope and an example. How awesome is that? Has God, what, what more can God do for us to, to lead us into his presence, into his kingdom? Verse 12 says, live such good lives, right? Peter's going to point out uh, what, what a dispersed seed should do, right? Because remember, they're dispersed, and that word means like seed scattered in a new place. 
And when God scatters seed, what's he expected to do? Grow, right. So you get, you, know, you get a job transfer to somewhere you don't know, or you get put somewhere you, you, you're, not, you know, you're not happy with or whatever, you're not prepared for. God expects you to grow. doesn't matter where you're at, grow, right? That's what he expects. That's what his first seed does. They grow. But he says, live such good lives, right, like as a witness and a testimony for the Lord among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God has put you in that place so that you will grow so that the world around you now will see the glory of God and give praise to him. That's why you're where you are. That's why God puts you there. Isn't that awesome? Verses 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. He's going to talk about different authorities that we're to submit ourselves to. Not just those who are older, but to the emperor, to authorities, to the governor, and, and, and people who are sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, right? So we have to submit to Bobby and the police, right? That's, that's the way it is. That's what God has called us to. Verse 15, for it, it is God's will that by doing good, you know, or living out the light, that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, right? When people look at you and they have nothing to say because all you do is good. You know, we say good things, we act the right way, we are godly, we love the Lord, and they can't say anything about us. They may have to make it up. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, surrendered to God, people who have given themselves fully to God, right? Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of God, fear our believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 18, slaves, and the word kind of means not really slaves like we think, slaves being sold on an auction block, but the word means servants, like as in a household servant, like as in a butler or a maid, could have even been employed so these are Christians that are living in a new place. Some of them have gotten jobs, and their job is to be the, the servant of a home, and they get paid to do it. It's not like they're being sold on a, on a chopping block, but they're being hired by an employer. That's what this word means. He says, live in reverent fear of God. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And he says in verse 19, it's commendable if someone bears up under pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Right, that's how we live our lives, conscious of God. Like God is on our mind 24-7. Everything we do involves Him. We don't do anything without His, His input in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And we live to honor Him in that way. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? You deserved it. Don't blame God. It says in verse 20, the second part, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable. God, God is applauding you, not because you're suffering. That's no fun. He hurts with you. But he is, he is commending the fact that there's somebody who's living by faith on the earth that has been taken over by the evil one. Because God knows where you are, you know, he knows we're on this planet, and he knows the darkness, he knows the evil, he knows the temptation, he knows all of that. And he knows you're a little seed of light living among all the darkness, and every time you shine brighter, God takes notice. 
right? It's commendable to God when, you, when we stand for him in the midst of all the darkness around us. Verse 21 is our key verse in this, this idea of exemplified. He says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And there it is. There's this idea of of this example of Jesus. Everything Peter challenges them to do is exemplified in Jesus. Jesus already did it, right? He's challenging them to be like Jesus. Jesus already did these things, and now he's calling us as believers to follow Jesus' example. Verse 22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, key... He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Right? That's, that's the power of Jesus and, and his discipline and his, his confidence and his trust in the Father and his self-control. Right? Call that word we talked about this morning. Self-control. He didn't retaliate, he didn't go after them. He simply entrusted himself to his Father, the one who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. That's why he did that. By his wounds you've been healed. For you all were like sheep were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Long chapter, but a lot of good stuff. The word for them is the word exemplified, right? Jesus exemplified the truth. He exemplified the truth. And Peter's trying to say, just, just, just try your best. You know, you're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to fail. We're going to be more like Peter than anything else. We're going to have our good days and we're going to have our not so good days. But the, but the goal is you just keep striving, stay in the fight, stay in the battle, follow Christ's example. He exemplified the truth. You live in that as well. He suffered for us. He committed no sin. He did not retaliate. He, didn't, he made no threats. He died for us. He took it to the very extreme in love for one another. And that's what he calls us to do. And so the question is, verse 25, have you returned? Have you, in this place, every one of us, have you returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul? Like, are you trusting Jesus with your life? Have you given him all of who you are? Not some of it, not part of it, all of it. Like either you're a part of his building and you're growing in a spiritual kingdom with God or you're not. There's no in-between. There's no partly in, partly out. It's either you're all in or you're all out. There's no, there's no middle ground. You're either fully surrendered to the Lord, you've given your life to him, you've believed, you've confessed, you've repented, and you've been immersed into Christ, or you haven't. Today's the day. Today's the day if you haven't. Make a decision. Make a decision to give your life to Christ and then let Jesus be the example that you follow. Father, we love you so much. You're so good to us and we, we read your word and there's so much treasure, so much truth, so much to live by, so much that challenges us to be more like you. And we thank you for that. Thank you that we're not left here wondering. We're not left here without direction or purpose or truth. You've given us everything we need as people to know the truth and to be set free by it. So, Father, help us to live in you. Help us to return to you, the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. We love you and we need you. 
Speak to our hearts, Father. We, we pray in Jesus' name.